Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, I have a question. When you have a project to do, or let's say a mission to accomplish, how do you view, let's say, obstacles or opposition? Like you, you, you've been given, you've been given a mission, you've been given a project. This is what you got to do. Here's, here's the finish line. But yet we know that there are obstacles and oppositions. How do you view those? And you go, Pastor, I'm not sure what you mean. Well, do you see insurmountable barriers forcing you to quit? Oh, well, we can't do this. We can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do this. You know, a lot of us do that. Or do you see hurdles, challenges that you can jump and keep going? Oh, no, we can just get overcome this. Now, I've got to be honest with you. In a lot of our lives, when there's obstacles and oppositions, we do see hurdles. We do see stuff that we go, oh, and it just forces us to quit. We're just, oh, you can't, I can't believe this. Well, in this project to rebuild the temple, guys, in the city of Jerusalem, Israel, if you recall, was forced to rebuild, or, or, or the project, I'm sorry, was faced with a number of obstacles and, and a significant enemy opposition, okay? We think that they just went over there and they're like, hey, we're going to build. And everybody's like, hallelujah. They're not. They're going, no, 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 we're not. You're not going to do this. And if you and I had been in Ezra Sandals, many of us would probably thrown in the towel because of the obstacles and the opposition. Some of us would even conclude that God had probably closed the door. I thought he brought us back to build the temple. Huh. Because, guys, obstacles and the opposition seemed so great. Now, church, listen. Remember what we saw last week, right? This is what we learned last week about obstacles and oppositions. The work of God stopped. That's the problem, okay? Now, labor with me for just a moment. It was 490 years. Guess what? Israel didn't keep the Sabbath. God said, hey, guys, I got one command. He probably had more, but I'm sharing one command. He says, what you need to do is you need to, every seventh year, let the land rest. Well, for 490 years, they were like, nope, we're not going to do it. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to plow. We're going to, I mean, this is God. You're just blessing us. And God did. But then he said, no, 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 you weren't obedient. So what did he do? Well, seven divided by 490 gives us 70 years that God said, I need to let the land rest. So God took Israel out of the land of Israel, out of that land for 70 years. Now, if you recall in our Daniel study, Daniel was reading the book of of Jeremiah and he realized, wait a minute, we've been in captive, we've been captive for seven, it's almost up. It's almost 70 years, it's almost up. We get to go home. We get to go. And he got so excited. Although Daniel himself didn't get to go back, he knew the 70 years was up and that Israel would get to go home. Because if you recall, do you remember when Daniel prayed? What did he do? He opened his windows and he prayed thus towards Jerusalem. Why? He knew that's where God, but we hadn't been there for 70 years. And so he knew it was time to go home, go home. Now, listen. There were two key factors that took Israel into bondage, two. You go, what were they? Number one, it was disobedience. They didn't keep the Sabbath. They didn't do what God had told them to do. And number two, it was idolatry, idolatry. 
In the book of Jeremiah, guys, we learned that for 40 years, can you imagine? 40 years, Jeremiah was preaching and speaking against the nation of Israel. Guys, stop. Stop. You're worshiping idols. You're, you're worshiping the God of Baal. You're worshiping the God of Molech. Stop. And for 40 years, they wouldn't listen to him. And he would preach a message over and over and over and declared it was imperative that they turn away from idols. Now, I believe, guys, that these are the same two factors that, that keep us from a closer walk with God. If we're honest in church, I think that's the reason you're here on a Wednesday night. I want to grow closer and I want to walk with Jesus. I want to know him. I want to learn from him. I want to sit at his feet. And, and the two things that kept Israel in bondage keeps us from a closer walk with God. You go, what are they? Well, number one, it's disobedience to his word. Disobedience to his word will keep us from a closer walk with God. And then number two, you guys know this, idolatry in our hearts. Idolatry in our hearts. What we, what we worship, we, we, we've said it how many times here? Several times, right? We often take things that are really good and we make it ultimate and, 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 and we become, they become idols in our hearts. Paul says it like this. They've reversed the creative order. They've taken and worshiped creation Instead of the creator. Paul says that. You go, well, but there's a lot of good things in my life. Absolutely. Our goal is not to make that ultimate. If we make it ultimate, then it becomes an idol. Well, Israel did that. And of course, we know that disobedience to his word for us, idolatry in our hearts, will keep us from a closer walk with God. Well, 70 years is up. And Cyrus decrees, Israel, bum ba -da -dum, you can go home. And you can rebuild the temple. Now, that's exciting news. Can you imagine? Can you imagine your news feed on the internet? There you are scrolling through MSN, Google, whatever you use, and boom, there's this red bull. Guess what? Israel gets to go home. 70 years up, Cyrus decreed, go home and build the temple. And it's exciting. And, 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 and all of this thing is going on. But the one thing we need to keep in mind, church, listen. The temple wasn't the only thing that needed attention. Many of the returning Hebrews had hard hearts. You go, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, they had forgotten God's law. And to make matters worse, they were disregarding the laws in front of the people. You go, what do you mean? Well, not only did they have a hard heart, they were actually living that hard heart in front of everybody else. And you go, well, what do you mean? Well, what they needed, church, listen, they needed to be reminded of the covenant they made with God. You remember your covenant, right? You go, what covenant? It's the time when you surrendered your heart. Do you realize that? Well, we call it getting saved. We call it walking forward down to, the, uh, down to the front of the altar. Oh, Lord Jesus, come into my... Listen, that's when you made a covenant with God. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you all. I give you my past. I give you my present. And I give you... Lord, I give you everything. Guys, that's a covenant. And there are times in our lives when we, like Israel, we need to be reminded of the covenant we made. Number two, they needed, to be, they needed to remember why they were in their current situation, why they had to go to Babylon in the first place, and now why they were allowed to come back. You see, the temple needed a new foundation. 
but the people needed to return to the foundation of their faith as well. They had walked away from God. Well, as you can imagine, as soon as Israel began moving forward, okay, here we are, guys, let's go. One, two, three, huddle. Let's, there's the foundation. Here we go. Here we go. Guess what happened, right? Opposition, always, right? Always the opposition began. In Ezra chapter 4, guys, we saw the enemies of God, God's people, tried different methods of trying to stop Israel from moving forward. You go, what were they? Well, they tried trickery. You go, what do you mean? They try to infiltrate and defeat from within. That's what the enemy does. The enemy often goes, listen, I can't get him from the outside. I can't get direct opposition from, so I'm going to join their ranks. I'm going to cause dissension from within. That's why the Lord God, guys, tells us that there's a, there are six things, seven things he hates. One of them is what? Do you know what it is? Dissension in the body. He says, guys, don't, don't do that. Why? Because, again, think about it. That's what the enemy tried to do. Number two, they tried intimidation and fear, which had some measure of success. And then finally, they resorted to what? Political pressure, which stopped Israel dead in its tracks. Now, before we move on in our study, I see the same things happening to the church as well as our lives. Don't you? You go, what do you mean? Well, let's take a brief moment to look at our church, guys. Since we're approaching 2018, we need to realize that as a church, the enemy of God will continue to stop our church from moving forward, right? He, he, he wants to stop us as a church from moving in and, and reaching more people. You go, well, how does he want to do it? Well, I think the first way he wants to do in the church, guys, is compromise. He wants to infiltrate the church and try to defeat it within. How so? When we start going, we can't do that. Oh, we've tried it, and it doesn't work. He wants to come in, and he wants to, he wants to show just, again, think about it, compromise. And, and not only that, but discouragement. Oh, remember when we tried this? Yeah, yeah. Nobody came. Nobody came. Ben, you've been here how long? The church should be so much more, so much bigger. What is wrong with you? Discouragement. Also fear, right? The enemy's going to try to what? He'll try intimidation and fear, and I think frustration in the church as we move forward. But I want you to think of 2018, and I want you to think what God wants to do. Here, here's the problem, guys. It's not our it's not what God wants to do. I mean, just it's his vision. It's what God wants to do in our little church to reach the world. And I think we need to be careful because the enemy knows. The enemy knows. Well, what about our lives? What about individually? Guys, listen to me. When you start walking closer to Jesus, the enemies of God will continue to try to stop you from walking close to Jesus. And he'll do it in the same way. You go, how so? What's the first one? Compromise. Compromise in our walks. You go, well, what does it mean to compromise? Listen, if you're taking note, check this out. To compromise is to make concessions or accommodations for someone who does not agree with the prevalent set of standards or rules. The Bible makes it clear that God does not condone compromising his standards. Here's what he says. Joyful are the people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. 
if you're taking note, remember what Paul told us in Galatians chapter 1, 6 and 7. He says this, I am amazed, he tells the Galatians, that you were so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ to what? A different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So the way he wants to get our lives, guys, is through compromise, through compromise, through, through making concessions or accommodations. No, no, I need to be obedient to the word of God. Okay, but I'll just compromise a little bit. The second way he wants to do in our lives, if you look at it, guys, is discouragement, right? Discouragement. Now, this is the tool that the enemy uses most in our lives, discouragement. He wants to discourage you. Now, when do you get most discouraged with God? There's a lot of times when you go, oh, I'm discouraged, but, but, but here's when, we, when the enemy uses it the most, when we're disappointed with God, when we're disappointed with God. You, you might have prayed, and you might have worked for something, and God, if I can just do this, and it didn't happen, and it didn't happen. You know, we have a we have a, a, a an awesome brother who was attending this fellowship that was diagnosed with cancer in the brain. And we prayed and we sat right here and we anointed him with oil and we trusted Jesus. And man, he'd come back and scans are clean and, and everything's good and, and he was just so excited and until until one time he, he, he sort of just sort of looked and said, you know, my eye's starting to feel weird. Oh, don't worry about it, brother. God's got this. God's got this, man. And he goes to the doctor. They run him through the machine and say, well, I hate to tell you this. It's all come back. It's all come back. Discouragement comes when we go, God, we prayed, and I really felt like you healed me. I felt like you healed my body, and now I'm, I'm what? And, and discouragement will set in because, again, that's what the enemy wants to use. What about our lives, guys, when we, when we go, listen, here, here's how ideally, I, I thought this is how my life would go. I thought we would do this, and I thought it'd be here, and I've prayed, and I thought God was in this. And we can get discouraged because, let me, let, let me just, we're ready, ready? It's when we don't understand. How many of you ever said that with God? I don't understand. And we say that all the time. But God didn't call us to understand everything. He called us to walk by faith. Walking by faith is going, okay, Lord, I don't know. I'm trusting that my next step is going to be your next step. I can't see it all. I don't understand it all. I don't know why the things that happened to me have happened to me. I don't know why these things happen. And he'll use, Lord, guys, he'll use discouragement most of all in our walks. And you can, you can paint that with a big broad brush when you think about everything that we go through, through our marriages, through our jobs, through sickness, Everything. He wants to, you know, what else, pastor? Well, fear. Think about fear. He wants to, he wants to what? He wants to come in with fear like he did with the children of Israel. So how do we overcome our enemy who tries to attack our walks by fear? We've said this, the word of God, the word of God. Now, listen, church, we have 33 verses to remind us that we don't have to fear. 33 verses. 
The question is, are you looking for those 33 verses to help you in your fear? Why? It's the Word of God. Okay, quick survey in your minds. When you run into a situation where you are fearful, do you run to the Word of God or do you pick up the phone and try to get counsel from other friends? You go, well, what's wrong with getting counsel from a friend? Nothing. But what I'm saying is if you want to overcome the attack of fear in your life, you start with the Word of God. Well, what about frustration? What is frustration? Guys, you know this. It's the feeling of being upset. Anybody ever been upset or annoyed? Especially because, here, the inability to change or achieve something. You ever do that? Yeah, I can't change. It won't. Oh, and I'm frustrated. And we try so hard to change our lives, and we get frustrated when things don't change. And all we need to do is allow the Lord Jesus to come in and change us and walk in peace. Now, opposition and obstacles. By way of introduction, allow me to ask you a couple of questions. You ready? You can jot these down if you're a fast writer. But think about this. Number one, under what circumstances do you find it difficult to persevere in doing what is right? Under what circumstances do you find it difficult to persevere in doing what is right? That's the first question. Number two, when have you faced opposition from others for doing the right thing? When have you faced opposition from others from when you're doing the right thing? And then number three, When have you experienced God's protection in your life? These are some questions that that we'll see come up in our text today. You go, what are they again? Under what circumstances do you find it difficult to persevere in doing what is right? Number two, when have you faced opposition from others for doing... You're doing the right thing and you know others are getting in your face because... It's the right thing to do. And when have you experienced God's protection in your life? Now, as we come to chapter 5, we see opposition and obstacles. Guess what it did, church? It ceased. It caused the work to cease. That's what happened. But now it's time to be what? It's time to renew, to renew the work. Now, in order to understand Ezra chapter 5, let's go back for just a moment to Ezra 4. We're just going to read this, but this is going to be our background for the chapter. Look at Ezra chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father of the houses, and he said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esarhaddon, the king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers of Israel said to them, quote, You may do nothing with us to build the house of our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel. As King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land, guess what they tried to do? They tried to discourage the people of Judah. And they troubled him. There's the fear. They troubled him in the building. And they hired counselors 
to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, the king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. Now, jump over to verse 24, last verse. Here's what happens. Now, they want to come in, they want opposition, but look at verse 24. Thus, the work of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, ceased, and it was discontinued until the second year of Darius, the king of Persia. You go, okay, so what's going on? The enemies come in, there's obstacles, there's opposition, much like our lives, right? Much like our lives, right? When we walk with Jesus, we know what's going on. Our goal, our job is to, is to walk closer to him. We call it progressive sanctification. There we are. We want to know Jesus. And listen, I don't know, I don't know about you all, but for me, listen, my, my short time on earth, whatever it might be, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, I want to, I want to know Jesus more and more. That's all I want to do. I want to know his voice. I want to feel his spirit. I want to worship him truly. And that just takes time in walking with him, in walking with him. But there's opposition. And what happened here in verse 24, guess what? The work stopped. If you're taking note, guys, it stopped for 15 years. 15 years the work stopped. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Think about the day you gave your life to Jesus. Think about the day you said yes and the flood of tears came down. Think about the day your heart was renewed. Think about when that peace came in and you, you were just renewed. You knew. You knew you were born again. You knew that you were a child of God. You knew this. And then you began your walk with God and, and you had what we call the honeymoon period. And it was so amazing. And when you prayed, you felt God's presence and you knew it, you knew it. And as you began to walk with the Lord, you walked a year and maybe you were walking two years and maybe you've been saved three years and, and you get up to, you know, four or five years. And then all of a sudden, could you imagine if you stopped walking with Jesus? Could you imagine what would happen? And all of a sudden, the, the work ceased. You, you stopped well, it doesn't happen right away, right? You go, what do you mean? Well, through the opposition, guess what happened? There they were, and they're laying the foundation. Oh, what are you guys doing? Hey, we're building the foundation. Man, it's, it's going to be awesome, and we're going to be able to worship our God again. We haven't worshiped him for 70 years. This is going to be amazing. And then the next day, a few people call off sick, and there you are by yourself. Hey, it's going to be great, man. Yeah, oh, oh, Joe and, and Fred over there, they didn't come in today, but that's okay. We're, we're still, they'll be in here tomorrow. And slowly it tapers off until the, week, till the work, nobody came. And no, oh, well, I came to build a foundation. No, you're not. The government said, no, stop it. The work ceased. Well, I guess I'll go home, I guess. Think about that in your walk. There you are. And, you, and all of a sudden, you how? Well, it starts off real simple. It starts off like, man, you, do, you don't understand. I used to pray all the time. I used to pray. And I remember just lift, oh, Lord Jesus, you can hear, my, hear my prayer. And then I'd read the Bible, and I just couldn't get enough. And I mean, and my wife would be telling me, hey, stop it. Come on to bed. And, and I'm just like, can I'm right here in the middle of, it's just so good. And, and you're just walking with Jesus, and you had the joy of Jesus in your heart. And everybody you met, you were like, ha, ha, this is great. And you remember your life. Do you remember? You, you used to laugh all the time. And it was so, you just, and you'd see things and you'd see opposition. You'd go, oh, praise God. I'm being attacked. This is good. God is good. And then you slowly, you slowly stopped. And you're not reading your Bible anymore.
and you pray in your prayer life, well, I still pray. I still pray. You know, I mean, we definitely pray for, for the food. You know, when we get together, we definitely pray. That's, that's, that's a given, right? We pray. And uh, how would, what would your life look like? You see, for, for the Christian, guys, listen, there's not a place where we stand still. If you're not moving forward, you're, you're moving backward. You're not just standing there. And so the work stopped for 15 years. And I, I likened it to our lives, and I go, no, I don't, I, don't want the, I don't want the work in my life to stop. I don't, I don't want the opposition to render me ineffective. I don't want the, the enemy to come in and trip me up, and, and all of a sudden my walk's on the shelf. Now, listen, I'm pretty good about doing that myself. I don't want the enemy to do that. And so, 15 years the work stopped. Let me ask you a question. How long did the work stop for? 15 years. Now, I'm calling this message tonight, guys. If you're taking note, jot this down somewhere. The preaching and the protest. Tonight, we're just going to cover the preaching because we don't have time for the protest, but we'll see that at a later date. But here's what we learned tonight, guys. We learned that the building of God's house is going to be renewed. And the building of God's faith is renewed as well as the foundations in each person's heart. We're going to see a renewal right here. So, let's look at the preaching. Let's jump in. Like Josh said in his teaching previously on the Ezra files, right? Stole that from him. 15 years since the work has stopped. Now, I want you to what? I want you to parallel that to your walk. Let's say, let's say that you, the work in your life has stopped. You haven't been walking with Jesus. You know it. Let's see what God says. Because something's going to happen that I want to happen in each one of our hearts. You go, what's that? Listen, listen. The people of God take up the work once again. Look at verse 1. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophets, they prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. Now, note with me, guys. We have two prophets come and speak to who? To the 50,000 people, if you will, the 50,000 Jews that had come back to rebuild the temple. Although the work had stopped, here we go, for how long? 15 years, good. Just want to make sure you're with me. They come back and they speak to them, right? Although the work had stopped in God's house. Now, we must ask ourselves, what happened during those 15 years? What happened? What did Israel do? You know what? They move back home. They start the process of rebuilding the temple. Opposition comes and the work ceases. What was going on during this government-executed shutdown? What was going on? Well, in order to understand what happened between chapter 4, 24, and chapter 5, verse 1, we need to say, we, we need to go over to the book of Haggai, because the prophet Haggai is going to tell us what was going on during these 15 years. 
So hold your place here in Ezra. Go over to the book of Haggai. You're going to hit all the minor prophets. You're going to hit Hosea, Joel, Omus, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and then you'll run into Haggai. This is what was going on, okay? Haggai chapter 1. Notice, in the second year of King Darius... In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, The people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be rebuilt. Now, remember what happened. Here's what the people are saying. Hey, it's not time for us to build. God must have, God must have used the government to shut this down. We, it must not be in God's plans. No, 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 no. Listen, what were you sent here for? Yes, I understand we were sent here to build the foundation, but, but here's what God wants to do. God wants to get into the foundation of their heart and go, listen, you need to, we need to rebuild that foundation of your heart because you've left your first love. The re- book of Revelation tells us you've left it and you, we want you to come back. And they're going, no, it's, 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 it's okay. And Haggai is saying, listen, here's what God says. God has told us, guys, listen to me. He says, the time has not come, 15 years. And now here's what Haggai says to them. Now, verse three, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, It is time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses. And this temple is to lie in ruins? Notice there's a question mark. He says, listen to me. Is it time for you guys, for you to live in these houses, these nice houses, and yet the foundation in the temple lies in ruins? Whoa, what's going on here? He says, now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, and you bring in little. You eat, but you do not have. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into bags with holes. And thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Guys, do you see what's going on here? They came in, and in their mind, they somehow allowed the opposition and the obstacles to have them stop the work for 15 years. And while they're doing that, they're building their own houses. Oh, okay. Listen, what are we, what are we going to do? Well, let's, let's just take care of me. Let's just, take, let's, just, let's just take care of me. And Haggai comes to them and he says, guys, listen, consider your ways. Let me just expand. What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your heart? And he says, consider your ways. And he tells them in verse 8, he says, go up to the mountains, guys. Here's what I want you to do. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and, and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, thus says the Lord. What's he telling them to do? He's telling him, get back to work. Get back to work. And here's what I love. Do you guys see the grace of God in our lives? There are times when we, when we maybe not be, we're not walking as close to Jesus as we can, and that the Lord's not going, oh, see, there you go. I'm mad at you. Go ahead. Walk and wander your way. He looks and he says, come back. It's time to start again. It's time to walk. Okay. Okay. It's okay. Listen, I love you. I love you. And it's not too late. And it's not too late. He says, go up to the mountains. Let's get this, let's get this going again. 
Let's just say, you, you look, verse 9. You look for much, but indeed came to little when you brought it home. And I blew it away. Why, says the Lord? Because my house sits in, that sits in ruin while every one of you runs to his own house. He says, therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called a drought on the land and the mountains and the grain and the new wine and the oil and whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and all that labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, notice what they said, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. For the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit and all the remnant of the people. Notice what happened. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day in the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. You go, what was going on? Okay, let me give it to you in a nutshell. In the 15 years where they had forgotten God's temple, they began to work on their houses. They began to say, well, I'm not, we're not, you know, I know we're called to work on God's temple, but we're going to, and we're going to just, we're going to build our houses. So we're going to make sure that we've got a beautiful home. And the Lord's like, no, here's what I told you. I, I called you to build my house. Go back. And here's what I love about this, guys. It said that they obeyed the voice of the Lord. They obeyed the voice of the Lord, and they came back and worked on the house. Notice that. They came back. Well, wasn't there opposition? Wasn't there compromise? They were trying to get him by compromise, and they were trying to get him by what? By discouragement and fear and frustration, right? But God said, no, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Go, go. So say goodbye to Haggai. That's what's going on. The people of Israel were more concerned about their houses until God shows up through this prophet and says, hey, consider your ways. And now we're back in Ezra. Back in Ezra chapter 5, verse 2. So Zerubbabel, notice, the son of Sheltiel and Joshua, the son of uh, Jehozadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Now, here's what I really love, okay? Look at this. The name Zechariah, guys, the name Zechariah means the Lord remembers. And it's fitting for what? Well, we have Haggai and we have Zechariah, right? So it's fitting for the name of the prophet of restoration. So you've got Haggai and you've got the Lord remembers, come back. And what God does through the prophets is he encourages them, come back. It's time to build the temple. Come back. Come back. And I think there's so much application there, guys, because there's so many people, when they make a mistake, help me here, help me, when they make a mistake that they feel so defeated and they hear the enemy whispering, you're not good enough, don't come back, don't come back. And, and that's not God's heart at all. God's heart says, I love you, and I know you're going to make mistakes, but... 
but I want you to come back and begin that work again. Begin that work again. Notice in verse 2 again, Zerubbabel and Jeshua, guess what? They rose up and began to build the house of God. And, and, and now notice that last verse, and then I'm going to move on from there, right? It says, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Now, here's what I just want to point out something real quick, okay? If this was modern, okay, if this was modern, um, here's what I love about this. It says the pastors were building and helping them in the work. That, that's, what I, that's what I love about this, okay? Zerubbabel and Jeshua, they got up, and, and the rest of the pastors were like, oh, let's do this. We should never be in a place where pastors are not involved in the work. You guys with me? You know what I'm talking about? There are those that are our big name and... We just got we just we I, we just got to be careful because it says that we're all involved in the work. And if you ever get a pastor, it goes, "Listen, I'm up here and you're down there, and uh, you do the work, and I just supervise." That should never be the case because the Word of God says everybody pitched in. And when the pastors and the assistant pastors are the first to be the servants of the church, everybody else goes, "Okay, that's a great example." And that's what pastors mean, guys. Pastors mean servants. We're just ministers. We're, you go, well, you're the senior guy. You know what I am? I'm just the chief servant. I should be the chief servant. I should be the first one. Now, here's what I love. I love the fact that there's, there's a lot of you that have come alongside and said, let me, let me take some of that stuff off of you. I love that. But I'm still there in the mix. I'm still there. I should be an example. Be an example. Zerubbabel, guys, you see it in verse 2. Joshua, what did they do? They rose up and began to build the house of God. They were what? They were obedient. They were obedient, right? Now, I want you to note some things that we can apply to our lives. You go, what are they? Number one, jot this down, obedience. Obedience. God spoke and they obeyed. God spoke and they obeyed. And sometimes in our lives, guys, we go through times where the work stops and we're not walking forward with Jesus, but then our spirits are renewed. We get a fresh word from God. We feel our spirit renewed. And our only response at that time should be, I need to obey. I need to obey. And you go, Pastor, well, why is it so important to obey God's word? You said that before. Now, let me see. Let me take you back on memory lane, okay? Let me, let's take a little trip back on memory lane. Remember why Israel was in Babylon in the first place. They were disobedient. God said, please, listen, here's what I want to do. You need to let the land rest. I'm going to give you enough food in the sixth year so that you just, I mean, think about that. How would you, how would, how, I think that's an awesome deal, I mean, I really think that's, that's like an awesome deal. You go, why? Think about this. Think about this. Okay, with your job, you work six years in your job, and you rest on the seventh. In the sixth year, I'm going to double your income so you can take the seventh year off. Can you imagine that? That's a sweet deal. You mean, what do you mean? I get a year vacation after every six years? Yes. I'm in. But these guys are going, well, wait a minute. If I get doubled on the sixth, 
and I still work the seventh, then I can get ahead. And if I do that for... You see how it's going? And you go, well, pastor, okay, 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 I get it. But so, so why? Why is it so important to be obedient to God's word? Why does, why does it seem like every chapter he's talking about obedience? I thought we were under grace, yet you're saved by grace, but understand that obedience comes out of a loving heart for Jesus. You want to obey. You go, well, why is it so important? Well, here's why. 1 John 5, 2 and 3 Obedience proves our love for him. Obedience proves our love for him. You go, well, what else? It demonstrates our faithfulness to him, and it glorifies him in the world, and it opens avenues of blessings for us. You go, can you say that again? Okay, let's go through this. Why is it important for you and I to obey God's word? We see that in our text. We see that Zerubbabel, we see that Jeshua, Joshua, Jeshua, whatever you want to call him, they obey, they rise up. Opposition or not, they're going to build the temple. They're going to move forward with the foundation. Why is that important? Well, because we know that obedience to God proves our love for him. That's number one. Number two, guys, it demonstrates our faithfulness to him. Number three, guys, it glorifies him in the world. And number four, man, it opens avenues of blessing for us, of blessing for us. So when we obey the Lord, guys, listen to me, we can have a life of joy without shame, rooted deep in the Lord and confident of our eternal hope, right? Do you remember what the scripture says? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, our obedience is actually a part of our assurance when we truly know God. Now, here's what I want to do, okay? We'll only cover two verses. And uh, can we close our study with this, okay? I'm going to close our study with eight reasons, eight, I want you to jot this down, why, it, it, it's, why obedience is important to God. Let me give you eight reasons and then we'll pray and we'll get you out of here, Okay? When we return to the book of Ezra next year, guys, we're going to finish up with part two with the preaching and the protest. But let me give you eight reasons, and I would pray that you would jot these down. These are eight reasons why obedience is important to God. Number one, okay, you ready? Because Jesus calls us to obedience. Jesus calls us to do that, okay? In John 14 and 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, he calls us to that. In Jesus Christ, we find the perfect, listen to me, the perfect model of obedience. As his disciples, we follow Christ's example as well as his commands. Our motivation for obedience is love. One of the best reasons, guys, is that Jesus says, if you love me, you will be, you will obey. You will obey. Number two. Obedience is an act of worship. While the Bible places a strong emphasis on obedience, it's important to remember that believers are not justified, made righteous by our obedience. We get that, right, church? Salvation is a free gift of God, and there's nothing we can do to earn it, but obedience is an act of worship, of worship. I think we need to be so careful 
we need to be so careful in our hearts, guys, that we, we don't just modify our behavior to, to be obedient. You know, we just modify our behavior. Okay, I'm not really, I'm not sure what the motivation behind me is, but I want to be obedient because that's what we do as, as Christians. But I'm not really a Christian, I don't think, but, uh, but I've modified my behavior so I look like one. And so I'm going to be obedient as an act of worship. No, no, no. Listen, Uh, obedience is an act of worship when you receive Christ and you understand who he is, and then you're able to what? It's part of worship. Number three, God rewards obedience. Over and over, we read in the Bible that God blesses and rewards obedience. He just loves that. Luke eleven twenty eight says this, but he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You want to be blessed? Be obedient. Obey God's word. Number four, obedience to God proves our love proves our love. You ever hear that old saying, if you love me, prove it, right? I love you, prove it. Well, obedience to God proves our love. First John 5, 2 and 3, we mentioned this earlier. He says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is love, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. 2 John chapter 1, verse 6 says this, This is love, that we walk according to His commandments. And this is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So when you're obedient, guys, when, when Zerubbabel and Jeshua came back, they're, they're showing their love for God. Why? Because it proves our love for God. Hey, man, why are you obeying the Bible? Why are you obeying God's Word? I love Him. Number five, obedience to God demonstrates our faith. You see, there's a lot of religions out there. There's a lot of people claiming, but when they see us and we're obedient, guess what? It demonstrates our faith. And then we're not just a Christian in name only, but we're a follower of Jesus Christ. Number six, obedience is better than sacrifice. You guys remember the story, 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight, has, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, he says, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed that than the fat of rams. For rebellious is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as is in iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Do you guys remember that? He was talking to, to Saul. And what he was saying is, listen, he's saying obedience, guys, is way better than sacrifice. Number seven. Let me give you a negative here. Disobedience leads to sin and death. 
the disobedience of Adam brought sin and death into the world. They were disobedient. You guys remember the very first ones, what did they say? God says, hey, listen, here's this tree. Don't get near it. Don't touch it. Don't even eat it. Don't even go buy it. It's my translation. And they were disobedient, and it brought sin and death. But Christ, guys, Christ, his perfect obedience restores our fellowship with God for everyone who believes. And number eight, through obedience, we experience the, blessing, the blessings of holy living. Only Jesus Christ is perfect. Therefore, only he could walk in sinless obedience. But as we allow the Holy Spirit to, to transform us from within, we grow in holiness. So it's only through obedience, guys, that we experience the blessings of holy living. I like I like the preaching of verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5. They were obedient. They were obedient. Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to be men and women after your own heart. Lord, help us to help us, Lord, if you will, to break our heart for what breaks yours. Father, help us to be obedient because we love you. Because we seek after you. Because we want to grow closer to you. Help our obedience, God. Help our obedience, God, to show people that we love you. And that you're the only hope in this world. Ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.